0: The S&P, the this IS This Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that, like the market, is shaken all over. I'm Scott Phillips and with me, as always, Dr. Anirban Mahanti. How are you, Doc? Uh,
1: good, man. I am very good. I'm not shaking. And I'm just shaking? rotating from my chair.
0: <laughs> swinging your chair. Swinging not, my chair. I'm not sure if that's quite the same. Speaking of swinging, Matt, it's been a hell of a stock market over the last seven or so days and we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about a heap of macro. Lots and lots of numbers come out and they're kind of all over the place. So let's talk a little bit about that. We'll talk about poor, poor, poor old Meyer. It's been an ugly, <laughs> ugly time for more. Poor, more. I shouldn't laugh. I just, oh man, it's just a slow motion train crash, isn't it? No, it is. We'll talk about afterpay. Maybe getting some serious competition from one of the big four. We will talk a little bit more about Super because again, yet again, they're attacking Super and I'm going to have a bit of a rant. And as course, of course, as we get to the end of the hour together, we will dip into the full mailbag. That's a full card, mate.
1: Sounds like it. Let's go swinging at it. Aren't we supposed to do a tangent first? That's what I said. Let's go swinging. Okay, cool. I like it.
2: Stand by. Motley Fool money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple
0: M. When we talked about where we're going to start this morning, we really had no choice. Uh, And not that we mind doing it, but there was no other story than... Just an absolutely phenomenal amount of market volatility over the last seven days. We're recording this on Thursday, the 10th of September, um, which is important to date stamp generally, as I always say, but when things are volatile, it's even more important because frankly, by the time this goes out, we're going to have, we're doing it Thursday morning too, so two market sessions before this goes live. Goodness knows what's going to happen in the next couple of days. The NASDAQ sold off, I want to say 4.8% on Tuesday night, our time, hmm. um, after doing, having and it was closed on Monday night at our time because the US had a public holiday. Friday night, last Friday, it was also down massively. Apparently, US tech had a technical correction down 10.1% at some point. Those listeners who've been around for a while know I desperately hate the term technical correction. I hate correction, I hate technical. The terms are just stupid market terms that people want to talk about. But temp set's still 10% in not, <laughs> in not more than three or four trading sessions, mate. It's been a lot of the place. Now, on the flip side, as we record this, shares were up nicely last night. Um, Apple big swings Amazon big swings Tesla at one point fell 21% in one session up 11% the very next session Um, and this is really I mean you know it's been a really fascinating time there seems to me at least to be no clear catalyst for this other than some sense that it's been such a great run as soon as someone started taking money off the table the lemmings kind of all just ran in the same direction
1: yeah, so, I mean, we can all speculate because it's hard to know why the market does something.
0: There was actually news, right? It wasn't like it wasn't like all of a sudden three big tech companies came out and had terrible results or that, that there was some change in government. Like normally, you know, well, not normally, often there are reasons why this stuff might happen. Right, Rates might go up, so the market might fall or there's, there's something normally going on, some sort of catalyst for those big, big, big falls. This just felt like one of those, it's been too good for too long, I can't, I can't take it anymore. I'm taking money off the table deals.
1: So I'm going to try to explain something on the fly here. This is going to be dangerous. Okay, okay i like Here we go. High wire um, act. Uh, yeah, this is a high wire act. All because, right. you know, I've not yet reconciled this in my own mind. <laughs> so maybe I'm, I'm trying to speak and reconcile here. So one of the theories going around yes. uh, was a big whale. Uh, and this whale in this context is called SoftBank.
0: Okay, a a uh, whale in the, in the context of kind of investing or money is generally just a really, really, really big player with lots and lots of cash. Yeah. Uh, quick tangent, mate, because I like tangents and I'm trying mm-hmm. to interrupt you halfway through even the Beanie View story. There was one US casino, one, one Vegas casino that lost so much money in a given quarter that I actually had to mention an Australian whale who taken money off them and actually had meaningfully impacted their full quarters results? It was the late great Kerry Packer who had been there, who had been on a massive gambling spree and had won. Didn't always win. In that case, he won and that was he won so much money. The casino actually had to note it in their accounts for a quarter <laughs> that this particular player had actually meaningfully impacted their bottom line. So if you think you know, that's that that's the definition of whale right there. In this case, we're talking about a stock market whale though.
1: Yeah. So 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 SoftBank has a lot of money invested into the stock market Mm -hmm. and various things. They've got these various funds, Vision Fund, this, that. Um, And they apparently got uh, a little, you know, they they got a little nervous about the market's sharp rise. And they, I believe either they bought puts. So if you buy puts, it's basically a bearish call. Okay. Uh, or they sold calls or in their existing position which mm-hmm. is again a hedge uh, when you sell uh, okay. calls against, you, basically you're saying that I'm willing to sell it off at a yeah. particular price okay. for which you get a premium right. so which gives you again a hedge um, you know with respect to the stock price or yeah. whatever right yeah. And th- now what happens is when a big player makes these big options calls mm-hmm. so derivative calls and there are thousands and thousands of banks and you know they'll probably use a bank or a broker or a bunch of brokers to do this right those flow-through effects will be visible to everyone. Oh, right so
0: is it is it everyone noticed someone doing something and you got freaked out was it the size of like was it the market impact literally in terms of dollars and cents or was it the psychological impact of oh my god look something big is going on over here
1: <coughs> yeah so it's basically i think before a long weekend some big player <laughs> saying okay i'm gonna right, have to right, cover right, myself right. Uh, and a bunch of people got freaked out and of course okay. you know everybody looks at the market and says oh well you know here's the march lows and here's the yep, highs yep, yep. there's another artifact I don't know how much veracity there is to this, but there's an interesting artifact that happens, and this would uh, this goes to the Robin Hood theory. Yeah, there is. So we know that r- small retail investors do not impact the market. They yep. can't because they yes. don't have that kind of yeah, money. That's
0: right. They're right? Just simply too small. Yeah.
1: So yeah. how do they impact the market? Yeah, yeah. Is the question. This is the th- you know this has been floating. Around. So there's one theory that's been yep. floating around now, is small retail investors are buying calls, short dated calls on stocks okay. okay now if you buy short dated calls on stocks what it means is you're making this bet that mm-hmm. the stock is going to go up
0: okay right
1: now if a and lot you of need
0: people- a return right? right which is why you do it rather than buy the shares yeah. you buy the call because it's cheaper to buy right. and the return is much greater exactly if you're right right if you're right
1: <laughs> now in the stock market yep. every buyer needs to have a seller okay right which means that if I buy a call yep. somebody has sold me the call right. right now if somebody has sold you the call they need to own the underlying mm-hmm. right because if I say, I, because when buying a call gives you the right to acquire the shares. Right.
0: So if I'm selling a call, I've got to have the shares to give you Exactly. if the if the options exercised.
1: Right. Now, most of the time, it's, a, it, it, well, there's a theory is that yeah. the counterparty is a market maker. Okay. Market maker has sold you the shares. Yep. But now they need to have exposure. If, if people are buying calls and the stock goes up, mm. market maker has to now buy the stock to actually own the stock. Okay. So it's like, it's basically creating this, <sighs> it, it's, it's okay. creating... Self-fulfilling
0: it, prophecy type <laughs> stuff. self
1: prophecy. A bunch right. of people buy calls, the stock goes up, more people buy calls, the stock goes up. goes up market makers jump buy the shares the buy, shares go because, up yeah, because right. they need to buy right, right, and right. then all of a sudden this is you know, so this is a self uh, you yeah, know, okay. fulfilling prophecy yeah, yeah. and then somebody comes in and says okay I'm going to put a stop on the <laughs> I'm market out. Yeah. I'm out and that causes yeah. the reverse reaction right. so that's so that partly explains in my mind why we are seeing very sharp mm-hmm. action Interesting. And very sharp reaction. Okay. Right? Okay. So this stuff, you know, you would not expect this 10% correction yeah, yeah. Um, of the incorrect market to become correct. Um, <laughs> Funny that. To happen yeah. so quickly. Yeah. Right? It t- usually 10% drop takes time. Yeah. yeah. And right. then from 10%, yeah, yeah, it yeah, takes time yeah, yeah. to get back yeah, up.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: It, uh, it, it, would appear that it's right. the combo, and it, there is there's a multiplier effect that happens as well. So you know the total number of calls. Mm. So a retail investor buys one call for like fifteen hundred bucks, yep. but the underlying exposure to that is actually not fifteen hundred. It's like you know sometimes tenfold of that, right? Okay. So you're getting this right, multiplier effect, right, right. and then there are banks probably doing this. So it's the underlying derivative yeah. market could potentially drive
0: <laughs> these talk. So I mean, the, this ma- the market like, is too big for individual investors to impact, but because of the leverage nature of Options, you you know you're having ten times the impact almost by definition as you point out. Yeah. So you only need one tenth of the money to have the same size of impact that otherwise might be having. Yeah.
1: So I mean, okay. in 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 total, still, it's yeah. it's a relatively small
0: yeah. exposure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: But it's enough maybe to have the impact on the fringes.
0: It sounds a little bit like the old butterfly effect. You know, the, the yeah. The butterfly flaps its wings in the Amazon and there's a tsunami <laughs> halfway around the world. <laughs> it, I mean, that, that's I mean, that's a. That's kind of truish scientifically, and we won't get into that one. Um, it's possible, right? That's kind of the point of that of that idea. In this case. It, you're right. Doesn't you don't need to necessarily have exposure to that many shares. You just need to create the conditions yeah. for the perpetual motion machine to kind of take off by itself. And once once that starts, as you say, there's kind of not much to stand in its way as long as the momentum is maintained. Yeah. And we've certainly seen that. I'll I'll draw a quick analogy and let us come back to it. But the when we see lots of small cap stocks, we get asked regularly about stocks. I can almost I can almost. <laughs> I don't want to be too cynical. I could. Almost, I should short the questions that we get about individual stocks. And I reckon I make a decent amount of money because yeah. when something gets hot enough, it gets hot because everyone's owned it, everyone's talking about it, everyone's buying it. And that's fine so long as the buying pressure continues. But over the long term, we know, shares tend to follow their value, right? Walmart is worth today what it's worth today because it grew profits at a certain rate. That's what happens. In the short term, over Walmart's life, I just picked that because it's a really large, well-known and old company. Lots of times over that time period, it's been higher and lower because sentiment has driven the share price in the short term. And that's yep. the problem for people. If you're looking at stocks and you're seeing shares go up, and you think, man, I better get in this one. It's, it can't, there may, may be no value there, just more people want to buy it than sell it. And so it pushes the price up. Yeah, Over time, price will follow value. But in the short term, if you're not careful, you're going to be buying or selling exactly the wrong stock at the wrong time because you're looking at the crowd Rather looking at the business itself. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I think that's that's right. And there's, you know, there's a huge uh, bunch of people that can, You mm. know, we are fundamental people, but there's a huge yeah. bunch of people who only invest based on technicals, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So you know, the chart is going this way, the yeah. average is going that way, the yeah. average, you know, the 50-day average, 20, you know, 25-day average, you know, 200-day average, yeah. momentums, RSI's, yeah, and yeah, all, yeah. all those things. So yeah. there's a lot of things, you know, and then the impacts could be different. is again, whatever theory I made up, as I said, you know, um, <laughs> this is what I have. Uh, I have gathered yeah. on Twitter That's across various yes. number of people, and it kind of makes half sense to me. Um, but again, y- you know, I'm. I guess I'll just clarify this one bit. I'm mentioning this out of interest, yeah. and I would say that you know, uh, not draw too long a bow here, thinking that okay, well, if I know what the mechanism is, I can <laughs> I can actually <laughs> do right. something off it. Because That's again, right. you're what, what you need to remember is that. The momentum in the positive direction mm-hmm, can mm-hmm. continue for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and
0: but uh, then it also can turn on a dime, and that's so and it can <laughs> continue on the other side too for a long <laughs> that's time. Right. The,
1: the problem yeah, for most yeah, investors yeah. is that they just yeah. can't stick around for that long time. Yeah. Right. So uh, I think that's that's the fundamental thing. Whatever position mm-hmm. people take, they need to be able to withstand it for mm-hmm. enough amount of time to actually get value out of it. Right, and mm-hmm. whether you're by making a long trade or a sh- you know a short trade. If you can't stick around, that's right. <laughs> you're that's actually right. not going to make money on it.
0: That's right. That's right. I think that's really that's that's important, thing, right? And again, the reason it's happening is not the same as the way we should respond to it, right? So just because something's happening, doesn't mean we should respond in kind or try and play that game. I'm always fascinated with people who want to day trade or, or short-term trade because effectively most of these things are largely zero-sum kind of exercises, right? Like you're you're literally betting against someone else that you know better than them. And you got to ask yourself, hang on, if if I'm buying shares and someone's selling them to me. If I don't know more than the seller, then there's a decent chance this is an unequal bet, right? I, I'm, I'm taking more risk than they are because whatever whatever they did to own the shares they're now selling, I'm buying from them because I think I know better. If the only thing I know better is, well, the price is bingo, up, I guess it'll keep going up. That's true right up until the point it's not. And <laughs> that can be really, really dangerous. We've seen so many stocks that flew and then crashed. Um, I remember the nickel boom. I remember, remember graphene, we've talked about that before. Um, cannabis stocks did the same. Um, Foslock was one particular company that had that experience of just you know going through the roof and then going through the floor. I'm mean, now being asked a lot about a whole lot of other stuff. Um, Novonix is one we're getting all the time now. Um you know,
1: I signed this? We got a lot I on this, that. Yes, uh, yeah, get yeah. Swift, not yeah, long right. Oh, you yeah, get Swift. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But the thing is that any stock that goes up, yeah. right? automatically will be in people's radar because, yes, exactly. I mean, it's going up. Yeah. People are talking about yeah, it. Yeah. It's there. It's on the newspapers, yeah. right? Um, but it's
0: still filling profits. It's going up. It's going to keep going up. I better buy some. Everyone does. And then as soon as the buying stops, as soon as the music stops, if there's nothing fundamental to support the price. If all, if all that's been happening is an imbalance of buyers and sellers, that's the only reason it's going up, then guess what? When that imbalance reverses, everyone just flattens out. The, you know Value will value add over time. right? Not, not value investing necessarily. I'm not saying value investing is growth investing. I'm saying the value of any growth company is what you're buying as a growth investor or as a value investor, eventually you're hoping the business is worth the price you're paying. If you're paying a price, because everyone else is paying that price. I don't think, I don't know there's a sillier reason to buy shares. I don't mean that in a harsh way of people who are doing that, but that's probably the, the least logical reason I can think of.
1: Yeah, I, I think I'll take a little bit of it. Like, I mean, I would say that mm. if someone wants to day trade, that's their choice as long as they realize whoever you know whatever model you use to make money on the market you got to still realize mm. what you are actually doing right i mean you you basically speculating you're making a bet you know it's you you are making the mm. Mm. casino style bet and therefore yeah. you need to yeah. realize yeah. that there is a certain probability that you're going to lose your money mm. and That's probably, exactly yes and yes. therefore you play accordingly right yeah. and you want to play that game yeah. you know be my guest but just you should know yeah uh, what you're doing
0: exactly nice one Mate, um, that's, a, that's a great step-off point. Uh, let's go macro because speaking of knowing what we're doing, we're in a really, really strange economy right now. We talked little about this a little bit last week. We saw retail sales up. Th- Actually, we, we didn't because retail sales came out after the podcast was recorded. So GDP fell 7%. Retail sales on Friday were up 3.2%. And you kind of go, I don't really understand how that's possible. This week, some fascinating numbers. Business conditions were poor. Business confidence was high. So you kind of go, okay, well, maybe they're saying it's terrible now, but it'll get better. So that's probably positive. Consumer confidence actually bounced back to January levels, if you can believe that. They weren't great then necessarily. So I'm not saying this is back to huge highs, but effectively back to pre-COVID levels. And then home loans jumped 8.9% in numbers that were released on Wednesday. It's just, I mean, because everything's moving so quickly, because the stimulus and the whole, everything is in such a mess in terms of numbers, you can't really extrapolate anything. But it's a really, really strange scenario. I think I may have mentioned last week that I think it's capital economics, if I'm not misquoting, um, actually believes we're already out of recession. That the September quarter that's going to finish in about two weeks' time, three weeks' time, um, will actually show positive growth. And effectively what we're seeing now are some of the more short-term numbers like confidence and, and retail sales numbers that don't have the same lag as GDP and maybe things are already improving um I'm an optimist as I've said many many times. I'm I'm inclined to believe that I want to believe that's true. How how do you take kind of the home loans numbers and the two the two confidence numbers this week in the context of what's going on?
1: Yeah, so I don't know. Like I mean I find the the entire home market, home loan market to be a bit funny. I mean if there's anything that I think is overvalued, I think it's that mm-hmm. um, you know, it is like there's no reason in my mind where mm-hmm. how you could justify the property valuations that we currently see. You um, have one of the most overvalued, or shouldn't, let's not call it overvalued, I think we have the most expensive property in the world, right? right, right. right. Yep, yep, um, yep. So how do I, you know, there's no reason to justify that other than saying, mm-hmm. well, there's demand, there's supply, and therefore that that's that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, people, like, you know, I, I would like to know how much of that home loan, for example, is just refinancing, right? So if the, yeah. if the interest rates are yeah. low, a lot of people will refinance. Mm. That will show up as. So I, I guess what to me what is interesting is what is the incremental net extra uh, credit yeah. being created. Yeah, totally. Right. So that's totally. the measure. Not in my mind. Again, I don't know whether that's the measure or. Uh, the other thing is that you know I would assume right now the supply and demand are mm. both mm. limited in sort of the property market. Mm. So I don't know. I personally feel the property market is highly overvalued, leveraged, and it's one of those things where stuff can go wrong very quickly because of mm-hmm. leverage. And like, as, you know, exactly as leverage in the equity market or options a leverage, these yeah, also provide, right. um, you know, yeah, yeah. everybody thinks yeah, that they're yeah, rich, yeah. Uh, but they actually don't have the <laughs> cash, right? Exactly. So Based it, on def-
0: leverage property they own, well, yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, but it's
1: like, you know, yeah. they're saying that, oh, you know, they, uh, actually the other word I really dislike mm. is I dislike the use of the word equity. Mm you you know when, when the bank tells you or somebody tells you you have <laughs> x dollars of equity in property
0: yeah
1: that's completely nonsense because yep. the x dollars of equity is equity if you can sell it immediately which you can mm. in the stock market mm. but you know you have x dollars of equity well you can get the x dollars back minus a brokerage whatever is the value right mm. but you can't get the x dollars uh of equity that you think you have in property by selling because the stuff doesn't sell immediately,
2: Yeah.
1: right? Um, so, I don't know. I think that's a funny market. It's hard to... There's a lot of funny things that happen in that market because it's, again, it's not a pure auction market. It's not a live market. So, yeah, right. um, With respect to business confidence... Well, the business confidence thing, I think, is interesting to me because it's interesting because I think if we you know human psychology would say that if you hit sort of you know a bottom mm. anything after the bottom is going to start looking good mm. right so it was so bad a couple of months ago it's almost almost natural to feel better mm. when it's not that bad mm. right and and i think that that's really what it is mm, right mm, mm, i mean you would expect that this quarter is going to be good because the previous quotas were bad, right? Yeah, so there's yeah. a natural cycle there that we, we, we should see um, in, yeah, yeah, I, I in, in, in confidence.
2: Mm,
1: mm. Um, the retail numbers, I think, to are, are, be actually, yeah, if I have to say something that's most interesting is people's retail spending, right? So I mean, mm. I would have thought that the retail spending would contract sharply it hasn't contracted that that sharply. That I think is
0: very interesting. That's real money, right? Going into the economy, hopefully supporting jobs, hopefully supporting businesses. So
1: that's very, very interesting. I think Mm. that's where Mm. I think the stimulus... Uh, yeah. Yeah, has done its job um, you know so that's full credit to the stimulus packages yep. and all the support that has been available um, th- yeah so I, I think th- that is the most interesting thing yeah. uh, to me if Agreed. I had to order I'd say that is number one number two is you know confidence improving and you know I don't really care that much about the property uh, market mm-hmm. but I think mm-hmm. you know, my views are that, that they,
0: know, they just all suggest to me at least though that, that if you if you put those together and again I'm reaching for positivity absolutely So if you put that together, it does suggest to me a consumer and business sector that is... So here's the thing, you're not going to spend, you're not going to invest if you believe the future is worse than today, right? You're just not going to. If things are going to keep getting worse, you're going to say, well, I'll wait just in case. Those numbers individually and together strike me very clearly as an Australia that expects things to improve. And so if you're on the the cusp of hiring someone or buying a new machine or buying a house or buying a new pair pair of jeans, car, you know, whatever... Those numbers all suggest to me people are more likely than they were. Again, none of these numbers are spectacularly good, but the direction's pretty good. The direction says we expect that things are going to keep improving. And I think that, as an op- a card-carrying optimist, I- I'm-, I- I'm pretty pleased to see those numbers. As- as individually, as you say, and I-, I don't disagree with any of your individual points, but as a group, hard to see anything other than kind of positivity, at least in a relative sense, coming from those.
1: Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. I, I don't disagree with that. I think that's that's true. Uh, I mean, as I said, if businesses were closed now they're open. Right. If right, you're right. open, you have business, and if people are actually moving around, then they you know there's business. If there's mm-hmm. business, then there's opportunity for people to hire. Mm. You know, maybe expand mm-hmm. business. There's there's you know loans are available at at low rates. Um yeah, yeah. So there's opportunity to do business, right? And that's, mm-hmm. that's good. Mm-hmm. I think mean, that's that's great.
0: Speaking of retail sales being up, mate, the good news about retail sales being up is obviously Maya has done spectacularly well and has booked. Super large profits, right? Oh, you would think so. That's not the case, though, is it?
1: Oh, that's wow. that's, that's that's a bit unfortunate.
0: See, last year they made twenty five million dollars in profit. This year, not so much. They they lost one hundred and seventy million dollars.
1: You know, uh, my first reaction was, you know, they made last year $25 million of profit. I was going to say, that's not a whole lot. That almost sounds like a mom and pop store making $25 million of profit. (laughs) And and my impression would be, Myers is so big. When I think about Myers and I think about all these big stores that they have, I'd have thought that you'd make (laughs) hundreds of millions of dollars of profit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, uh, there, I think in the. In sort of they're caught in the transition of the world the trans- and probably the, the <laughs> pandemic was probably not the right. The timing of the pandemic was very bad oh, okay. for them.
0: Well, and that's the, that's the thing. Right? I think this is the, uh, look, there's an investing lesson here for, for a lot of us, but one of those is, you know, the weaker you are going into something like this, you can't ever tell. This is a true black swan, right? I was listening to Morgan Housel, actually, um, was being interviewed by, uh, so he was an ex-MultiFool employee um, and contributor. Great writer. Was being interviewed by Barry Ritholtz. I was listening to this podcast literally only yesterday. And he said, it's not the risks that you see coming that are the problem, it's the ones you don't see coming. Because if you know something's possibly coming, you can kind of prepare for it. You can kind of be ready for it. You can, you know, it's not those ones that tend to cause the problem. It's the ones you don't see coming. If you're Maya and you're already in trouble, any business. And look, part of this is just pure luck, right? Like in a different set of environments, not Meyer. it's someone else who, it's Kogan, right? If Kogan was, I don't know, a 10th of the size, I own shares for full disclosure. If Kogan was a 10th of the size going into this, this was the year one of their operation and no one knew about them yet. And the GFC code's the GFC, how am I going? And the COVID pandemic comes along, maybe it goes out of business. You know, in the event it's already big enough that it actually gets to capitalize on this one. And potentially, you know, obviously no one knew what was going to happen, but shopping from home helps. <laughs> but you know, people buying stuff rather than traveling helps. Poor old Maya though, terrible struggling business anyway, in my view. I've called it terrible before. But man, I mean it couldn't have been a worse set of circumstances at a worse time for a retailer, or down as massive, massive structural pressure. It's just increased the problems, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah. If you're you know, if your financial state is poor, your balance sheet is leveraged, and all of a sudden your revenues disappear, you all have you've got you are stuck with fixed costs. I mean, it's a very poor position to be in. Mm. Um, unfortunate position to be in. Yeah. So I mean, I don't disagree. I think yeah, everything that you say is right. I mean, you know, the opportunity this time was for those people who could capitalize on it. There, there, there has been a certain group of, you know, companies that have been able to capitalize, whereas Myers definitely is not yeah, one yeah. of them. Yeah. Well, but you know, I like Myers. I mean, I, I like
0: the Myers stores. Do uh, you? Yeah. I don't I've been to Myers for. F- I, 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 I the last time I bought a suit, I must have gone maybe to Myers DJs. I don't think I've been in, It was not was DJs. I don't think I've been to Myers in five seven years, maybe. Well,
1: I, I have like actually them. never probably brought anything
0: <laughs> I, okay. that doesn't
1: mean that I don't like them you know what I mean like yeah that's true like, so, oh, so, <laughs> so I like them a a retailer, sorry, I, I like them because okay. I mean no like so, and I think this is where the problem is, right? There are a lot of people, probably like me, who like having this big store where they can walk around and see things and never buy them actually from them because it's just very nice to. <laughs> it's a nice thing to see and yeah, visualize, yeah, yeah. but not necessarily pay those dollars. You know, it's a little, it's a little um, counterintuitive in that sense. But yeah, like I mean, you know, I like they have those special specialty stores that they've got in in the city in Sydney. I mean, you know, you get to see interesting things there you just don't buy them. Maybe you buy them online later on because you now know what exists. <laughs> so
0: I guess that's true. I Yeah, so I haven't been there. Apparently they do do some cosmetics, I'm told. That's, that's about the best I know about about Maya. Um, mate, does it survive? What, what I mean, what happens to Maya from here?
1: Oh, it might. Uh, I'd hope it would survive in some form. It probably wouldn't survive in its current form. I mean, it's going to be really hard to own these big, Brick and ra- uh, you know, brick and mortar shops, and have the huge rent costs, or at least, or, or in some cases, they might actually um, own own mm-hmm. the physical mm-hmm. assets, mm-hmm. and they might sell off the physical asset and make some yep. money there. Um, yeah, I mean, hopefully, it survives. Maybe it can, uh, you know, uh, find a strong footing in the online world. I don't have a view on it, you know, really.
0: <laughs> yeah, I. <sighs> I think I, I've said before, Matt, my issue with Maya is it was, it was the shopping center before shopping centres were, were invented. Yeah. You know, my parents, in fact, when I was a kid, my nanny used to take us into, into town. To, we called it a town rather than a city because it was a town. Take us to the city, into Sydney, take us into town. And we'd go to Myer or Grace Brothers as it was then, uh, or David Jones for the day. And you'd, you'd get everything there because that was the shopping center, right? You get shirts and shorts and toys and books and electronics and everything you could get was in the one place, right? It was the shopping center. Mm-hmm. These days you think, well, I go to Westfield and I could go to Meyer at Westfield except I could go to the, you know, the, the fashion store or the electronic store. I don't need to go to Meyer for anything in particular. Other than just say like, for a bit of a browse to see kind of what's out there in case something catches your eye. It's like your destination, right? Yeah,
1: I think so. I think so. I have to me, yeah. Like, I mean, again, uh, like, Mars is a good destination. Do I shop there? I don't know. So, I mean, that's really my issue with them. But I don't know. But, as an as investment, it's probably not. You know, it's one of the firmly in the turnaround
0: bucket. <laughs> it, if it turns. Yeah. Uh, as yeah, most most do. turnarounds don't
2: turn. Exactly, exactly. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Let's talk a little bit about
0: afterpay. Because, uh, you know, frankly, people don't talk about afterpay enough. No one ever talks about the buy now, pay later space. <laughs> I'm, I just, of course, everyone does, and it's all over social media. It's all over regular media. Goodness knows we've talked about it more than enough. But a couple of interesting things happened in buy now, pay later this week. Hmm. The first is that the New Zealand player, layby, which I quite love, by the way, because I grew up and, uh, again, I'm not sure where, where if you had them where you grew up. layby was a thing. You actually go and you would say... People used to, lay by to- lay by- lay-buy toys, try to say that quickly, for Christmas for their kids. And so you'd go in in June and you pick the toys for your kids for Christmas and they'd put them behind the counter and you'd go in and you'd spend t- you'd 10 bucks a week from then until whatever and you go and pick up the toys. That was what lay-buy was. The New, New Zealand buy-now-pay-later firm has taken the name lay-buy and turned it into a buy-now-pay-later thing, which is kind of one of those kind of back-to-the-future things, which I actually think is kind of cool. Uh, but listed on Monday, shares are up 45%. And this must be the, uh, what, 85th, 86th buy-now-pay-later company list on the ASX. Probably not that. Probably, what, 7th or 8th?
1: Probably maybe 10th or 12th or 20th. (laughs) There's
0: a few. There's a few. Um, So there's that. And then overnight, our time, so Thursday morning, I saw this news. Oh, no, last night, actually, Wednesday night, um, that NAB is rolling out a no-interest credit card to, in theory, kind of muscle in on some business they're losing to... After pay, I saw one person on social media today say credit cards are now officially dead and then everything's now going to be a version of buy now, pay later, no interest. Whether that's true or not, we'll find out. Uh, your thoughts on lay-by, your thoughts on buy now, pay later, your thoughts on the big banks finally, belatedly, I would say, muscling their way in here?
1: Yeah, so, well, um, my first thought is that uh, this podcast should uh, officially form a company Called Molly Pay. Well, you know, I was going <laughs> to say, you know, uh, podcast now, podcast pay later, or something like that. <laughs> and, and podcast now, pay later. There we pay, go. Pay later I like it. All right. And then launch PNPL. it, and maybe maybe we could maybe, maybe we could have a two hundred million dollar valuation, and then uh, yeah, that would be great. Um, so that was my first thought. Uh, that was a, t- a tangent, of course, and a joke. If <laughs> for those people who didn't
0: understand. Although, if anyone's out there, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, if I'm down, why not?
1: So. I I think yeah here's okay, so uh, I'll make this a little bit of an investing thing. Um, one of the interesting things I find in investing is when everybody out there is trying to copy something, that thing has officially arrived, right? Imitation is the best form of you know you know compliment or best <laughs> the best form of flattery, right? I mean um, if everybody's imitating you, that means that's true. Yeah, so. Buy now, pay later has basically formally arrived and we can basically say, well, that is here to step.
0: Was it the 12th company that made <laughs> okay, well, that? Well, yeah, you're right. You're right. As, I mean, yeah. as a payment method, it's hard to imagine this unwinds, right? Yeah, you can't imagine there's no buy now, pay later in 2025.
1: Yeah. So I think buy now, pay later has arrived. That's number one. So that's a check in the box, which basically means there's a huge market if you think about uh, how much money flows through credit cards Um so I don't know exactly what the statistics for Australia, as I assume the statistics for Australia is very similar, mm. but I was looking at an Experian um, consumer report, and Experian is this credit card, mm. uh, you know, m- uh, credit check company, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. right? And, so, and, and they're used here widely, in you say so if somebody wants a credit report, they can actually go to Experian, I got one, mm-hmm. uh, and you can get it free. Every year, um, as uh, my uh, our colleague uh, Ed Wesley would say, it's very good to check your credit history once a uh, once a year, and you can do it for free. <laughs> so I got one done by Experian. Okay. Nice. Um, and an Experian report from twenty nineteen said, on average, an average American mm-hmm. has four credit cards. <laughs> okay. Now, yeah. if you assume mm. that there is. Two things, For it, cards. yeah, but 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 you know, but 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 I I'm just touching, mm, I'm mm, just mm. connecting this to uh, buying yeah, or yeah. pay later, yeah, yeah. right? If you assume that. Buy Now Pay Later is going to become mm, mm. Uh, as big a modality as credit cards. You could assume that people could have four different Buy Now Pay Later modalities. Number one. Okay, I
0: take that point. There
1: could be a shift from credit card traffic, or when I say traffic, I mean dollar yeah, volume, yeah, yep. to Buy Now Pay Later.
0: That seems likely, right? Like, why wouldn't you use a no, a no interest option when you could, if you could, relative to, a, to an interest exactly. option? Exactly. Yeah, yeah.
1: Right? A third thing that could happen, yep. and, and that is happening, is there's a large amount of cash that is in uh, transacted that's mm-hmm. going to all mm-hmm. become digital. So there is there is this tailwind, right? Mm. So in other words, there's a huge market in which multiple players can survive, mm-hmm. right? So um, yeah. so that that's that.
0: How many can survive? Sorry, I, I to finish just finish this, finish this.
1: Yeah. So now on that front, I think the the there is a perception issue at play, right? So I mean, if I am really in the buy now pay later camp mm, mm. I'm definitely in the anti-bank camp mm, I don't mm. mean that as a you know as a slight on the banks it's mm, just mm. that if though, I don't think the buy now pay later people yeah. right now would want to own an app credit card which is monthly payment and has a month you know which doesn't have an interest but has a right, that's right. number two friction point I think mm, is mm. one of the greatest things that buy now pay later did is pass the cost mm. uh you know indirectly
0: and is say, that say best thing it depends whether you're a retailer or a consumer right <laughs> well
1: yeah I'm, so, uh, Yes, I'm talking i sometimes from a consumer I know, point I mean, of view yeah. So from a consumer point of view if you yep, don't see yep. the cost right the cost has been yep. passed on to, ultimately the cost is the cost mm, right mm. i mean the 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 retailer is paying for it in in return yeah. the retailer is probably doing less discounting yeah. right and counting on more so you know everything it's it's, it's none of these things mm. are straightforward um but from a, from a consumer point of view you're not paying
0: yeah
1: somebody else is paying you're getting this thing you're paying in for installments and you're done, right? I think my personal opinion is the biggest competitors to buy now pay later is actually not going to be banks. It's not going to be credit cards. It's actually going to be the stuff that we buy mm, mm. and the services that we consume mm-hmm. and the amount of those things that are actually going to be available to us yep. on a subscription basis yeah, or right. on a monthly basis.
0: Which right? is kind of exactly, I mean, to your, to your point, Afterpay was kind of paid over four periods. NAB is basically saying pay your pay your life in monthly installments. I mean, the, the, their entire credit card offering, well, the non, non-credit card offering, would have called this straight up credit card, they're calling it. That's almost exactly what it is, right? It's like, spend whatever you want, just give us a monthly amount of money to kind of fund it. They're almost showing your life in a monthly subscription.
1: Yeah, but but I'm saying that that doesn't work. What I'm saying right, right, is right. what's going to work is yeah. most of the, most of the mm. like right now, right now mm. basically what buy now pillar in my opinion has done is has basically turned buying a jeans into having a netflix subscription yeah
0: yeah yeah
1: right but if everything becomes like a netflix subscription yeah yeah, yeah. that's i think buy now payload is competition in many ways Oh, I see you know what i mean because
0: it's, they don't need to put large but I, well
1: I, if i if i need yeah. to like say so if i need to buy a chair yep. and the person i'm buying the chair from basically yep. says all you got to do is just give me a mode of payment that i can yeah. take every month from
0: yeah right
1: without charging you anything extra yeah, yeah yeah
0: okay
1: right that is by now failure is competition yeah. i don't think yeah. this is buy now because this i think yeah. where you have to pay a fee yeah to have the card well yeah. that's basically a yearly fee
2: yeah
1: people yeah. will balk at the fact that i have to pay a fee when i can get that for free right 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 why wouldn't i have zip and Afterpay? yeah right um and, and just to round it up i think the biggest competitor for buy now pay later mm-hmm. right now in my opinion mm-hmm. is going to be paypal because that, that that is the biggest competitor largely because they've got what like you know 30 million merchants and like 200 or 300 million mm-hmm. users um one of the biggest advantages is you can with this with the flick of a switch turn on buy now pay later mm-hmm. you charge mm-hmm. the same fees that you are charging your merchants previously and because you already have the network of buyers and sellers, you can actually make this transaction effortlessly happen. I think that is the biggest, you know. So I think the banks are
0: mm, basically mm,
1: toast, mm. as yep. far as pine in my
0: opinion, of course. What happens What happens there? I mean, we say the banks are toast. I mean, we're going to have bank accounts for the foreseeable future, I assume. Is it just the credit card stream of business they lose? I mean, how does that, how does that play? If you're a bank shareholder right now, are you losing just your credit card business?
1: Oh, you know, if uh, I don't think anybody should be a bank share hurler right now because I mean, you know, uh, you have over leveraged property, uh, you know, 10 is to 1 leveraged property. Sure, sure. Uh, if something goes wrong, those bank shares are toast. So, I mean, y- y- you know,
0: mm, uh, mm. Uh,
1: th- in my mind, there's no reason mm-hmm. to be a bank shareholder. Um, you know, those, actually, why would you buy something that's at like 16, 17 times or whatever it is, like you know, 15 times earnings, and hope that it's going to become like you know, 20 times earnings, while their earnings are all—I mean, the bank's earnings are basically going to be depressed for now, the foreseeable future, right? Yeah, yeah. They're not even charging any interest right now, right? They're deferring interest and mm-hmm. not taking payments and making payment holidays—all great stuff that they're doing, but as a business model. Know, if your business model was to make money off people paying you interest, and they're mm, not paying you mm, that, mm. well, you've got some big problems. So I don't know. Like I mean, when I said toast, I mean effectively, I mean that in. I don't think they have a big future in the buy now pay later segment, Rodka. largely because it's too little, too late, mm. too difficult, um, and and all of those things. So. Mm-hmm. I really think the competition could be from like you know big tech like PayPal. Those are the guys who can I think create significant competition because they have got significant network. Mm. Um, Somewhere like Amex could do it, like if they wanted to, because they have both the network That's and right. the credit, credit facilities. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Facilities. So yeah. They could, You know, all of these people can. I, I just don't think. Yeah. I think buy now is a global phenomenon. Yeah. And local Australian banks, which are very local, yeah. have really little chance in this
0: sector. I think it's, I think it's a good point. But I, if I if I want to make it just for the sake of it, although I have this view to some degree, uh, it, well, banks may be too big, too slow, too boring, too encumbered, too regulatory, cap, regulatorily captured to make this work. But if I am a bank, I, I've been, I've said, to you, I think we said on the podcast, I've been waiting for CBA or someone to let people pay all their bills in four installments over four weeks, just by virtue of effectively in, in housing buying buy our I didn't expect the NAB thing. To be fair, so I am not pretty. I didn't print NAB. But you know, it's at some point, and again, whether it's not, it won't just be CBA, right? But banks around the world, if 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 Wells Fargo and HSBC and Lloyds of London, or not Lloyds, that's insurance company, Lloyds Bank, Lloyds TSB. um, I mean, if these guys want to remain relevant, I I kind of, I I mean, either they get destroyed by it or they. Don't necessarily destroy by Napster generally, but I, I you know, if, I, if I'm a bank, I'm thinking, well, how do I put, how do I create this kind of holding account where I can take all these bills in, and just hit my customers' account, you know, once a week for four weeks as, as the money comes in, or a Nab style solution. Um, I got to feel they, I mean, they've got to at least try to respond, right? Like before they, before they become, you know, before they disappear, I don't think it needs to necessarily be a global thing because your primary relationship is with your bank until we don't have banks anymore. You know, you, the pay goes in, the money comes out, the mortgage comes out. To some degree, that if, that, if that's your base financial relationship that afterpay pay comes, or bills into, or vice versa, um, I still reckon the banks have, have that ace up their sleeve. They may play it badly, they may completely lose the hand regardless. They certainly, it's theirs to lose, is, is I guess my thought, that if I'm a bank, surely I'm finding a way to say, I'm not gonna seed all this to those guys. Like Naba said, here's a way to do it monthly with a fee. Someone else says, "Well, here's why I do it fortnightly for four weeks, or we'll we'll allow you to have some sort of, you know, everyone gets an overdraft that works like an afterpay style or something. I don't know. I'm just I'm just trying to think about if I'm back, I'm not going to sit and let it happen to me.
1: Oh yeah, I'm I'm sure. Like I mean, the reason I think it's a global thing versus a local thing is I think um, consumption. So I, I I think you know for the banks and for a lot of businesses, I think the 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 bad thing that happened for a lot of things, mm. a lot of the old school businesses that the internet happened." Yeah right. Uh, the internet basically collapsed the world and basically <laughs> made made the world flat. Yeah, yeah. And if if the internet made the world flat then yeah. basically what matters and what works is you know we can complain about all these things we complain mm-hmm. about all these you know big tech and news and things like that mm-hmm. uh, but ultimately everything has turned into a scale game which yeah. which benefits consumers right I mean, yeah. so so afterpay or let's not even talk about afterpay mm-hmm. buy now pay later is really a scale game. Right? If you can have all the retailers in the world and all the consumers in the world, mm. you can work with a really small margin.
0: Right, I'm, I See, I'm still not on that page, Matt, because I don't think it needs to be global. I, don't, I mean, unless my, my, my bank, if my bank is Commonwealth Bank or NAB or a credit union or something else, and my bank does the fractionalization of payments for me, I don't know that it needs, I don't think there is a global, there's no, necess- it makes sure we a global winner in the end, but there doesn't need to be a global winner to, if the banks respond appropriately. There's no there's no arbitrary reason why, you know, Commonwealth Bank can't do afterpay for its own customers internally. There's no reason why afterpay, you know, if I say every, every merchant in Australia, if you accept Commonwealth Bank cards, my customers can have a buy now, pay later solution just using their FPOS card or their credit card. There's no reason that, need, that a, a, an extra player on top of that that extra middleman actually needs to be even relevant let alone global like it's it's, and I'm saying this is the future, but in one version of the future, I can. I don't think it does need to be a global win in any way, shape, or form, does it? Yeah, so
1: it, yeah, so one way to do it would have been like you know, if I am uh, say Tyro, mm. I could you know go to the merchant and mm-hmm. say, well, you know, you, you can take a buy now pay later. I mean, you know, mm. sure, Tyro would be taking the credit risk in this case, and it would mm-hmm. be available in mm-hmm. only owe those merchants that have Tyro. Yep. Same thing, ComBank, but there is no other way. Like yep. for to remove the friction mm-hmm. and. From a consumer point of view, mm. what you really need, like, you know, like what NAB is basically doing is basically saying, give me money yeah. to give you this facility. Whereas Afterpay is saying, I don't want your money.
0: Yeah.
1: I'll charge somebody else. But I can imagine that's very thing, powerful.
0: Just by, just by trying to keep his own business, says, I'm not going to charge you. I'm just going to let you do it. I mean, it's a fee free overdraft because I, I don't want you to stop banking with me. To, to your point, I think I can imagine a scenario where buy now pay later is a free service offered by banks to its customers, just to keep those customers as an end game, right? If you no, know- your There's point, no reason, reason to line. do
1: that, right? I mean, why? Wh- what is the point of losing, um, what is the point of offering, of having all the overhead mm, of mm, credit mm. card protection and uh, you know, mm. Mm, And taking the credit risk and paying the, uh, you know, they still have to figure out a modality of paying the retailers. As I said, how there's a lot of work involved here, right? They have to figure out which retailers, how the retailers are going to get paid. It's not that simple. I mean, Uh, mean, effectively, effectively for them, if they can't make any money. Why would they do it? it's better for them to not do it? Because they I mean they're gonna have the relationship as far as you know, mm, in their mm, captive mm, uh share and property market so mm. that they can keep spooking property prices. Yep. But I mean, what yep. else will they do? I, mean
0: think, I about, mean think about how cheap think about that is, right? If you if you let your customers pay their bills over four weeks rather than right now, if you're so I you know, I'm I'm no bank strategist, I'm no bank shareholder or executive, thankfully for everybody. Um the what I could do is say when you spend hundred bucks on jeans at just jeans. Um, I will hold that in a, in a in a suspense account and I will put 20, take $25 off your bank account every week for four weeks. I'm Commonwealth Bank. My cost of funding is zero something percent. Four weeks of that is 0. 0.00 something percent and I get to keep you as a customer. In fact, I get to draw more customers in because look at this great service I offer. You don't need the app. You don't need to work out which retailer takes what. I will do it all for you in your normal everyday bank account. Just come and join ComBank.
1: No, it doesn't work that way, right? So what what you're thinking is mm. it works from what you're s- is talking about is the payment yep. relationship between the consumer yep. and the bank. Correct. How does the retailer get the money
0: from the bank when the tra- when transaction goes? Through. But how
1: do how does the re- how does the bank actually ensure? So for every bank yep. now, for all the four majors and maybe five yep. or six other banks or the twi- or the and if you include the regional banks, mm-hmm. they would all need to have a relationship with uh, at the merchant level.
0: No, no, because they, they already do. They do with the reffles. So if you're a bank, you just, no, but, you just but, let but, your customer but, but, have a… No, but
1: that's what I'm saying, right? Each retailer, yeah. if uh, my coffee shop yeah. or my, I don't know, yep. uh, the shoe shop yep. or Foot Locker or whatever, they have relationship with one merchant.
0: No, but it's, but it's a feature of FPOS rather, at the bank level rather than the merchant level, right?
1: Yeah, but that FPOS machine is provided by one bank.
0: Yeah, but the, but the bank pays the bill.
1: Yes, but then <laughs> when, when, when I'm NAB, yeah. I can't use that facility. Yeah, I've already paid the bill.
0: If, I, if I'm an NAB customer, I give you my F-Post card as the coffee shop, you get the money straight away. Whether the NAB charges my account or holds in a suspense account yeah. for me, yeah. the, 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 yeah, the merchant gets you, money straight away.
1: Yeah, you're just assuming here that the banks can do all this tech on their own. You're giving banks way too much credit.
0: I, they've already got credit cards, right? You just you just make it across. The, everyone's got, every bank's got an overdraft account or a credit card account. Anyway, so I'm, not saying, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying as a bank, mm. I would want to have a pretty good you know, in curse of emergency break glass plan here to say, yeah. I don't want to lose business to Afterpay slash somebody else and if it means I have to carry my customers Post transactions for three weeks and dole them out once a, once a week yeah. for four weeks to their credit, to, to their savings account, then I'm providing an Afterpay-like service for them at, and my cost of funding is bugger also so it doesn't even really matter. It like cost me nothing to do it, right? Other than the cost of the developing the tech as you say.
1: Well, I'll I'll give you a counterexample here. So one of the things uh, that I like observing is uh, look at what's happening with uh, even just the FPOS terminals, right? Mm -hmm. There's so many different FPOS solutions that have shown up in in recent times. So there's Tyro, locally uh, homegrown, there's Square and so many others that have come. Um, Mm -hmm. To me, it seems like, you know, Scale and solution and technology is just making it easy for um, you know large scale global solutions to be deployed anywhere. Yeah. Which you know, which which is a challenge for locally focused banks. I think and that's that's my view.
0: Does it globalise retail banks? I mean, you know, if you follow that to logical conclusion, I mean, you only even, once a PayPal or a Square have transaction accounts. I mean, at some point. As much as the Australian government have said this four pillars policy is kind of, you know, we want four big banks and all that kind of stuff. I mean, if our money just slowly leaks out of these banks, do we end up with no local meaningful banks or banking sector?
1: Yeah, I'm not 100% sure that, that that's yet going to happen. I mean, okay. the, the I, I think the benefit there for um, the Australian banks would be that… Mm. It, Pure-play banking comes with heavy regulations, mm. and most tech players don't want to be heavily regulated. Regulation is very costly; it's it makes you slow-moving, makes things difficult. So they, you know, they're all. Mm. I don't know in the future world where you know everything is digital and there's a digital currency and everything can be, um, you know, seamlessly transacted. What happens? But I mean, mm-hmm. I do mm-hmm. see there's a future, uh, but I think this banks' future is probably going to be. More focused on you know just basically maintaining a cash account, having mm, a saving yeah. account, providing loans, uh, loans to consumers and businesses. Um, and yeah, that's not a bad business. Sure.
0: Just uh, maybe not Commonwealth Bank can breathe easy for a little bit yet.
1: Well, I think it's it's okay. They'll be fine.
0: <laughs> I, I guess the only thing, though, of course, is that as with all businesses, if they go from moderate growth to moderate decline. I mean, the, result, the shareholder results could suck for a long time. In, well, in, even even if it takes years for them to be supplanted by some sort of globally dominant financial institutions, it doesn't mean, you know, a slow bleed out. We just talking about buyer. I mean, it could be that, right?
1: Yeah. Like, so, like, I mean, we're not, uh, less, you know, we, we, uh, the Motley Fool. We don't have many bank recommendations. No, we
0: don't. And, <laughs> um, we don't have any right now, do we? Uh,
1: we, didn't we have a couple in AI? Uh, we did, in AI. Uh, yes. Yeah, and I don't know whether you have. Have you no, sold we, them?
0: We sold them because of the. Uh, obviously, AI, Everlasting Income, AI, is income focused service, and we had better income options elsewhere given the banks cut the dividends. So. Okay. So they for a short time. <laughs> <laughs> so they were there for a short Not time. A good time. Not for a good time. So a good time. And we
1: are a long term focused house. Right, so if we right. are selling stuff, that really means that right, exactly. stuff has changed. Um, and uh, yeah, so, I mm-hmm. mean, Westpac has. His returns have. In, you know they've you know been underwater yeah. for last what fifteen years or ten years or something like that. If you look at the returns, um, so mm. I I don't know. Like I mean, they are they have a lot of structural challenges you know high debt uh, situation how much more Mm-hmm-hmm. debt can you shove down yeah. people's throats right I <laughs> mean there's only there's a limit <laughs> yeah. to everything uh, or maybe theoretically there's no limit maybe maybe we can have yeah. infinite debt um, and, and we can keep paying forever maybe the works. Westpac
0: share price by the way was the same in September 2004 don't speak to a bank at yeah. random <laughs> no, they've had a lot of dividends in the meantime so we, should, we shouldn't we, we are very always clear to make sure we compare apples to apples so um, we want to be careful we're not just excluding dividends they're, they're a meaningful part of the return but still, 16 years with no capital appreciation, dividends don't cover that.
1: Yeah, so they've done, yeah, so I, I think they have been. Uh, last I last checked over the last decade, they were, they were significantly underwater yeah, uh, with with respect to uh, the ASX All Ordinaries total return. Um, yeah. And I don't expect the next 10 years to be any better for them, largely because <laughs> I think they're just in a difficult environment. It's really yeah. a tough environment, yeah. tough banking environment hard to give loans, you know, there's already a lot of, you know, loans, The interest rates are really low. When the interest rates are low, mm. it's hard for them to actually make money on the on the margin, right? I mean, you know, there's, there's cutthroat competition for everybody trying to give, like, you know, yeah. uh, loans out at 2%. I mean, how are they going to make money, mm. right? Mm-hmm. In, in many ways, I almost feel like, you know, what, you know, this competition is actually deteriorating banking standards to some extent, right? Because everybody's pushing oh, towards, uh, you know, if yeah. ultimately what would happen is that if if there's you know if you don't have quality assurance in the processes, yeah. Yeah. you don't have fraud detection in the processes, you're gonna have problems. So
0: it's uh, one of those things, isn't it? Where I've said the same about the banks. You know, as much as I I think the banks overcharge and all that kind of stuff, I, from a societal perspective, from a systemic perspective, you're actually better having slightly too profitable banks, as in they're slightly too profitable, rather than the reverse, which is their not delivering the sort of kind of societal, economic, systemic role that we need them to play. You've got to be a little bit careful what you wish for.
1: Yeah, that's that's true. But I mean, you know, so, yeah, again, yeah. I, I, I think that if, I think if you have organizations that have good systems and mm. processes mm. in place and are keeping up with changing times, I think those organizations tend to deliver value yeah, o- over time. And I think one of the issues of protecting mm. certain species uh, from the onslaught of competition mm. really mm. is that they become complacent. Mm. And and th- that is, I think, problematic. So there, there needs to be a healthy mix of, of competition and um
0: and regulation, I guess, is. Interesting, good point. Can I have a rant? Yeah, you can. Is that all right? Yeah, please. We've, we've talked about super on and off over the last few weeks, including on in our money hacks, and we've talked about a whole lot of things that are going on. I've been very vocal uh, on the superannuation guarantee that for all of the challenges and troubles we're having right now as a society, not increasing the super guarantee is remarkably short-sighted, if for no other reason than to put enormous pressure on the budget in 20 or 30 years, let alone the living standards of those retiring. There was another shot fired. It's one of the I, i'll give i give the anti anti super brigade their, their, their due, mate. They are nothing if not inventive, and nothing if not indefatigable. They have come out now. Not not so. We, once upon time, it was the industry funds that were the problem, and that didn't quite work. So now then, it was the super guarantee that was the issue, and that seems to have fallen over. So now they're saying we shouldn't increase the super guarantee because some super funds might actually get some more fees. That's true. If the rate goes up then the, number, the amount of funds under management goes up. And if the superannuation industries charge the same fees as a percentage, their rake will go up. That's absolutely true. So here's the thing, Doc. When our boss offers me a pay rise next year, I'm going to say no. And I say no because I don't want to pay the tax I'm going to have to pay. I mean, if he gives you a pay rise, I'm going to have to pay more tax, right? So I don't want to do that. I'm going to say no. I don't want any more pay rises because I've got to pay tax on them. And then you should rightly cut me off to a special little place in a straight jacket and leave me there and take my job. So if I do that, you're welcome to my job. I hope our listeners realize I'm talking in jest. I hope they realize that, I mean, it doesn't matter what tax bracket, if I'm on a 50% tax bracket and I get 10 grand from the boss, guess what? I still get to keep $5,000. I'm better off. Now we can argue about what the tax rate should be. We can argue about the rate of increase in in fees for super funds should be. No argument at all with that. We should absolutely have that conversation. For those people who are doggedly anti-super, To try and pretend just because some super fees might make some money, we shouldn't increase super. I reckon it's got to be the most ludicrous argument I have heard in my entire life. And I said as much on Twitter and some of my followers did say, well, shouldn't we look at the fees thing? Absolutely, we should. We are paying way too much in fees for our super. I completely agree. But man, like (laughs) to say we shouldn't increase super because super funds might get a bit more money. I think that is the most ridiculous conversation I have ever heard in my is that, is that not the weakest public policy argument you've heard ever?
1: Yeah, so I I, I think yeah. <laughs> yeah I think that doesn't make any oh, sense. Goodness. I mean, the only the, the, the strongest one I've seen is the argument around, um, you know what. What does it mean for SMVs in terms of yeah. passing on? That's issue, yeah. that is where I think you can have oh, a debate. Got, yeah, that's got That's weeks. a good debate, and you can have a debate <laughs> there, right. as to the you know pros and cons and yeah. how it affects uh, wage increases. Yeah. versus yeah. you know wage now versus wage later, and all those sort of things. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> this the, the percentage of the percentage of the percentage. game oh, man, is, uh, I'm, not, pretty I'm not even you
0: another ten grand a week in, in super contribution in case the super fund takes twenty cents out of that. And I, I just yeah, my head know, exploded when I read that this morning. You
1: know, maybe the people who are suggesting that. <laughs> They should have a salary freeze, yeah, or maybe their salary I mean. should go down that's below right. a certain tax bracket. Yeah,
0: that's right. Save a ta- fortune. They'll tax. save a fortune. I mean, in we can lower their marginal tax rate for them. How good would yeah, that be? And,
1: and and if it's coming from uh, <laughs> y- y- you know money that's being paid by taxpayers, oh. it's great for taxpayers. I think I'd that. I'd I'd, I'd I'd be a proponent of that tax policy. I
0: just I just <laughs> thought that was brilliant, mate. Of, of, all of, of all of the good reasons, as you say, there are, there are absolutely good. I still would personally increase the super fund, uh, super guarantee, but I can absolutely understand that conversation and as a debate we should have about. Is it the right time? Is it the right amount? Can businesses afford it? They have the right conversations. Yeah. This stupid bloody <laughs> fees one just drove me completely yeah. that, I mean
1: that That's a good debate to have. There are yeah. some good debates to have and discussions and maybe there can be numbers around and it. And you know, you, and then, then there are some ones that just don't make sense.
0: Um, oh my goodness. Mate, let's get on a quick mailbag before we finish up. I, I yes. will move on from that. Otherwise, I'll be tempted to rant again. No one wants that. So I don't want to read this, but I have to because Rodney sent it in. You, you know that about me, right? Well, if, if it's, it says good things about a the podcast then it's fine well it does. It says some other things about other things we'll talk about that in a minute John says hi Scott for months I thought it was weird you kept talking about a mailbag episode yet would only ever answer a couple of questions on the main Friday podcast I unsubscribed and resubscribed and it's now showing all the mailbag episodes so I've got a lot to catch up on thanks for answering my question about Kogan I went and found it back in a July mailbag FYI, I went in as much as possible on the share purchase plan and still holding everything. The heavy scarback was expected, but still quite shocking. I completely agree. He says, please thank Doc and also dig the boot into him over Apple's podcast app blocking 50% of your amazing content. Now, Doc, you know I don't want to talk about that. You know I don't, you know I don't want to bag Apple. You know I don't want to give him a hard time. I just had to read it because Rodney said it. You know, I, I'm just, I'm just like that. I'm that sort of guy, right? I, you know, you're a nice guy. They're, they're, I, I'm sure Rodney Rodney's a nice person too. I just, I'm, I, I don't want to bag Apple. Mate. I desperately don't want to. You know, I, I think you know Apple's wonderful and all those great things. I think it's all true, but I have to read. It. I, ha- I had to say terrible things about Apple. Mate. He made me say it. I promise. There's no question in this thing. <laughs> it's really not. This is like the, not a, this is not a mailbag question. Well, it's, no, it's a mailbag comment.
1: Oh, okay, fine, Rodney. We, uh,
0: <laughs> okay. What? Anyway, more, look. What, what, the reason the reason I read it was a because I thought it was a bit of fun, um, but also just to remind everybody: if you're still not getting the Apple, uh, if you're on Apple, using Apple Podcast, you're not getting the Friday. Oh, sorry, start again. If you're not getting the Sunday episodes, <laughs> let me spit that out, man. If you're listening to this on a Friday, that's why we're covering it now. If you're not getting the Sunday episodes, it seems that. If you unsubscribe and resubscribe to the podcast, and we've talked about this before, but just from Rodney's feedback as well. If you unsubscribe from the podcast and resubscribe, you should pick up all those mailbag episodes. So if you're not getting them and you want them, and why wouldn't you? They're free and they're excellent. And Doc and I are smart, sensible, funny, handsome, impressive blokes, or, or at least... That would arguably be true in different circumstances. I, I uh, didn't make any of those claims. <laughs> but, okay. I'm making them on your behalf, mate, because I'm that sort of guy. Yeah, uh,
1: that's good. At somebody making it for me, it's fine.
0: <laughs> so wait till the end of this podcast, then unsubscribe and resubscribe, and hopefully you'll get our well, well, okay, we'll let the cat out of the bag. Okay, there'll be a special mailbag episode on Sunday. Surprise! Surprise! <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mate, one more one more bit of mailbag because you're right, that wasn't really a question. Neither, neither is this, by the way, but this is important. Pete says, Hey, Scott and Doc. Thanks for your tips on the podcast about setting price limits on orders. I managed to secure a position after waiting for four weeks for the price to drop to the limit I set. Today, it dipped momentarily to my price then rose after it was filled. And a big thumbs up from Pete. So I just wanted to, we talked about limit orders a little while ago and I thought it was worth just mentioning because we wouldn't I, I, we wouldn't want people to miss out on the stocks we recommend because we expect yeah. them to go up over time. So... Peter, you did you did kind of exactly the right thing. What the only thing that worries me is if you had never had that limit order triggered, if the price hadn't dropped, you might have missed the stock. I don't know what company you're talking about, so I don't want to I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to be you know say hey great question or great comment, and then then complain about it or criticise it. But I just wanted to make a little bit of a point, just to reiterate that we want you to be patient. Absolutely, use a limit order. But don't die in the ditch on getting the very best price. I've said before, Buffett's cost himself $8 billion, arguing about $0.02 cents a share on Walmart back in the day. So just be careful. We're not talking about $8 billion for me or for you, Doc, maybe for Pete, you know, maybe Pete's a billionaire. Um, just, just be a little bit careful. Absolutely use a order, so that's absolutely the right thing to do, Pete. Love it, love it, love it. Um, but as I said, I would have hated if the price had not dropped and then had risen 10, 20, 30, 40, 50%, and you'd missed out because you didn't get the exact price you wanted. So it's probably a bit of a... Uh, uh, yeah great great discipline love it just be a little bit careful uh,
1: yeah, i'm just going to c- quickly add to that just uh, so in if this is mostly limit orders are really relevant for uh small illiquid yeah, uh, yeah. stocks uh companies um and number two is often when especially this we do it this in eo we would say you know we'd give it rough limit order guidance and we'd mm-hmm. say that you know try this for a week or maybe two mm-hmm. weeks yeah, if right, it doesn't okay. work out then still buy
0: some, yeah. anyways. Because we're not saying that we're not saying the limit price is the only price you should pay. All we're saying is don't be part of those people who push the price up unnecessarily. So they're yeah, exactly. different things, right? This is yes. buying discipline, not absolute price certainty.
1: Yeah, this is basically a way of uh, removing. Um, mm. y- you know the huge buying pressure that may come mm. Mm. right and it's just you know when when or it's when sellers or other people behind the counter see that there's a lot of buying orders sitting mm. there's a tendency to push the price up because well you can right <laughs> why wouldn't you yeah. so um, so it's just that the management of that and, and just it's a good strategy and then there are absolutely mm. there's one company on the ASX I'll name this company um, uh, called Energy One mm-hmm. Very interesting company. It it, it, it it actually sells energy software, to okay. uh, software to the energy sector. Right. Okay. Uh, it's actually quite a big leader in, uh, in in a few different countries. Cool. Right. This company has got but zero liquidity like it almost seems like it's a private company owned yeah, by a few yeah. people yeah there's a few of those is, around too f- which is basically listed on the market yeah, yeah. and like you know if as an individual investor you try to buy if you yeah, try to buy yeah, like yeah, 100 yeah. shares yeah. you might actually move the price on yeah, this right. thing right? so you know there are many companies which you might find you want to buy a, maybe you want to be a part of mm. because Careful how you're going to buy them because they're super illiquid.
0: Yeah, we, we've talked about a company before a company called Steamships, which I've never really looked into a lot, but it's it's kind of I, I, I like old, I like old stuff, right? I like a bit of history. Steamships is this trading company that was in PNG and it kind of has a joint venture with Colgate and owns some property and at one point owned some steamships, obviously. Um, so it's kind of this kind of this colonial trading company, which is kind of this cool little you know piece of history. Um, and I've looked at it a few times every now and again, but it, it literally almost trades by appointment. Um, you, it very rarely <laughs> trades at all. And when it does, as you rightly say, I think from memory, you could, you could buy something like 5,000 shares to push the price up to 30% yeah. based on what was actually available for sale. So be very, very, very careful. Yeah. Don't get sucked in. We, we want to buy the best companies we can find, of course, but there does need to be some buying discipline as well. Yeah. <clears throat> Doc, a quick, uh, quick semi-ad. We do um, not a paid ad, by the way. It was um, something out one of our colleagues in the US mentioned to me. And more, I mentioned Morgan Housel earlier in the in the podcast. He's actually written a new book and it's called The Psychology of Money. Now, if you like your books and you like investing, and I talk about psychology a lot, um, really, really useful book, I think, to grab. It's certainly been reviewed very, very highly by the likes of the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and others. If you're an audiobook fan, one of the best things about this one is that colleague I mentioned, Chris Hill, who hosts Motley for Money in the US, the original. I won't say the best. I probably should say the best, actually, because you know he does a better he's, job than he's we do. Really, really good. <laughs> he's excellent. Really, he's really also got excellent. a spectacular voice. I, yes. I don't. I don't share that that luxury, but. Um if you want to hear the book, I'm a big audiobook fan. Uh, it's available for Audible and other places. But if you want, to, if you want to hear the audiobook or buy the buy the book, jump on Amazon or Booktopia or wherever you want to buy your books. The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. As I said, narrated by Chris Hill. So I'm going to grab the audiobook version because I reckon that's that's pretty cool. So um if if you're if you're interested in, in psychology, you're interested in money, you're interested in finance and you want to hear it done well, um, then Chris Hill's narration of Morgan Housel's book, The Psychology of Money, is highly, highly recommended. Mate, speaking of ads though, I'm gonna give a proper ad this time because I want people to join your Motley Fool investing service called Motley Fool Extreme Opportunities. What's better, I want people to get it for a really, really good price. I actually don't want them to get it for such a cheap price, but I don't get to make those decisions. So the good news is, if you want to buy EO for a price that's cheaper than I would go- I would give you, you can go to fool.com.au forward slash EO podcast. Now, EO for Extreme Opportunities, of course, fool.com.au forward slash EO podcast. Doc and Kevin give you their very, very best high growth, higher risk but much higher potential companies they can find on the ASX. If you like what Doc has to say on this podcast, you will love his service and it's just stupid cheap. So go and have a look, fool.com.au forward slash EO podcast and grab yourself some really great advice, some education, some interesting insights from two of the very, very best in the business. Mate, that's it. We're done. But before we go, don't forget you can and should subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes or of course your favorite Android podcast app or Podcast One. And if you like what we're doing, give us a review, give us a rating, give us some stars, give us some love. I don't know if I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago, but I found this review again yesterday. I actually shared it with Chris Chris Hill, speaking of which, that um, said that uh, listening to Scott on half speed is like listening to your drunk uncle give investing advice. So I'm not sure if that's good or bad. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to people, but if you want to laugh, put me on half speed and see what it's like. In the meantime, don't forget you can get a dose of foolishness and an offer to join Motley Fool Dividend Investor. straight to your inbox by going to fool.com. Forward slash Triple M. Triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back on
2: Sunday with, yep, a very special
0: mailbag edition.
2: full on. full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned general advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.